Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. We are live at nine at the right time this morning. How are you guys doing? Thank you guys that were online with us last night. Those that are normally online that are here, like Peter's here. That was great to see Peter last night. <clears throat> and uh, more of you are coming down, I know, now that it's January. And it's nice and cool. So hopefully time will uh, permit. You want to make sure you get an opportunity to come on down. Come on down. Well, I thought we would jump over to this day trivia and look at a couple of things to get going. Here's one for guys. Girls, I mean, call me whatever. I guess I'm generalizing here, but uh, a lot of you ladies will pick this up in a heartbeat, but I'm a little slow on this stuff. But I did figure this one out. Joe is my uncle, but his sister Mary is not my aunt. How is she related to me? And I can still some of us are a little slow on the family relation who how you figure all that out, but obviously she is my mother. Joe is my brother. Joe is her brother, therefore her uncle. <clears throat> I have to ask my kids who's how we're related to all these people. I can't ever figure it out. Anyway. Um Richard Freeman said, Where there is no uncertainty, there cannot be truth. Where there is no uncertainty, there cannot be truth. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's true. Sonny Bono killed in a skiing accident. I remember this. Uh, Sonny Bono killed as he hits a tree. The reason why I remember this so well, giving you a little insight to my crazy past, was I used to hit trees skiing. <laughs> Not because I couldn't ski. I skied a lot. But my cousin and I got a crazy idea to go tandem skiing. And we we bought the longest, not bought, we had old used skis, the longest one you could get back then, and mounted double uh, bindings on them. So we, I would get in the front, he would get in the back, or vice versa. But we would get on and ski together. It was so much fun. We had a blast. We had learned how to do it. The problem was we had to learn right away that only the guy in front can decide where you're going to go. If the guy in the back decides to turn left and you decide to turn right, guess where you go? <laughs> Straight. And we kept doing that. We would come to a place where we wanted to. We both wanted to turn. I would want to turn one way. He'd want to turn another. And we'd go straight and hit a tree. <laughs> we hit a number of trees, some pretty hard. So, uh, and I'm, I don't want to <clears throat> minimize what happened to him. It's tragic. Obviously, he was going extremely fast. Hit a tree in, in Lake Tahoe and was killed. It was very sad. On this day in 1998, not a good way to go. Uh, first woman gover governor of Wyoming, 1925, on this day. She took office in a special election after her husband had died, so that was good. Um, this one's really interesting. I'm going to read the whole thing because I found this intriguing. Ford, the Ford Motor Company, pays $5 a day. This is 1914. Ford Motor Company announces an unprecedented $5 a day minimum wage for its employees, doubling the current wage for the assembly line workers. $5 in 1914 adjusted with inflation came out to about $140 in today's money. I guess about $140 a day. 
The high pay attracted thousands of hopeful employees from across the country. Crowds were so large that riots broke out and the crowds had to be dispersed with fire hoses. The high pay was needed to combat the high worker turnover due to the monotony of working on a moving assembly line. In 1913, Ford had to hire 50,000 workers to support the workforce of only 14,000. New workers were expensive to train, and the lack of workers um, was slowing the production of the Model Ts, which were in high demand. However, the pay increase came with conditions. I love this part. This is, this is what intrigues me. The employees would still receive their pay of about $2.50 a day, but if they met their company requirements, they would get a bonus for the remainder of the $5. Some of the requirements to qualify for this bonus... This is, pay attention to this. This is awesome. Abstain from alcohol and gambling. Immigrant workers had to learn English and take classes to become Americanized. Um, do not physically abuse their family. Keep their homes clean, not take on borders. People living in their homes. And men's wives could not work outside the home. Isn't that interesting? How that, <laughs> there was these kind of conditions there to put moral conditions okay dad jokes i I did enough of that uh stuff but the ford worker policy and don't you know he had productive workers with not getting drunk not gambling and getting into debt the wife staying home and taking care now she could right because he made provision doubled their income so she took care of the home, raised the kids, and so the husband came home to a warm meal. I know you cannot legislate morality. And, you know, in one sense, you can say that was not the right thing to do. I don't know on the ethical scale, but I'm quite sure that he had some pretty good workers after that. And I'm pretty sure that those husbands stayed married and the wives were able to make a nice home, and the kids grew up in a nice environment, is my um, guess anyway. So let's look at a dad joke or two. Mm, the, oh, this is okay. Did you hear about the guy who got hit in the head with a, with a can of soda? <laughs> All I can say is he's lucky it was a soft drink. <laughs> To the mathematician who thought of the idea of, of zero, thanks for nothing. <laughs> or I guess you could say thanks for nothing. All right. That almost done with our dad jokes there. Now I'm ready to go. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all you're doing, continuing to do. Thank you for the brother that... Uh, received you last night after the service and the people that are just getting encouraged by your word may continue to help us grow God and all that we're doing all that we're reading in Jesus name amen please open your Bibles so Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev he and his wife and all that belonged to him and lot with him now Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold and he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel, to a place where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. 
to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of, of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Pizzerite were dwelling in the land. And Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities in the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through the length and breadth of it, for I will give it to you. And Abraham moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Chapter 14. Now it came about in those days that Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariak, king of Eleazar, and Chadorlaimar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Golim, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Birsha, king of Gomorrah, and Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemaber, king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these came as allies to the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Chedleimer, but the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedleimer and the kings that were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtoreth, Karnaim, and Zuzim, and Ham, and Emim, and Sheva, Kiriathim, and the Horites in their Mount Seir as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and conquered all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who lived in Hezazon, Tamar. And the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zibolim and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, came out, and they arrayed for battle against them in the valley of Sidim, against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidel, king of Golim, and Amraphel, the king of Shinar, 
and Ariok, the king of Elishthar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, uh, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply and departed. They also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. Then a fugitive came and told Abram in Hebrew. Now he was living in the Oaks of Mamre. The Amorite, brother of Eshkrol, the brother of Enner, and these were allies with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his foes against them by night and his servants and defeated them and pursued them as far as is Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative Lot and his possessions and also the women and the people. Verse 17. Then after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal, thong or anything that is yours. For fear, you would say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what you young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Enner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their share. Chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what, you, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house of Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born of my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Then he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a th three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. 
The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kizanite, and the Kadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Pizrite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Wonderful, powerful chapters. After seeing what happened to Abraham, going down into Egypt and making a mistake with his wife and not starting off so good in his obedience to God, in my opinion anyway. Now we see him reestablishing himself, going back to to the land and uh, there with Lot and he's camped between Ai and Bethel, I think were the two places. And uh, this is where he makes this decision. They need to start separating their flocks and each separate and go their, their, their separate ways. In the beginning, it was interesting that God called Abram out of the Ur of Chaldees. He never said he called Abram and Lot. So there is widespread belief among theologians that Lot was really never supposed to go with him in the first place. That Haran, his father, had, had, the father had a lot to do with that on why the family went and not just Abram. But anyway, we find out that Abram decided to really wait on God to give him what God thought he should have. Lot chose by what he saw, what was right in front of him, what was convenient, good for his flock. Abram had a bigger vision. He was looking at what was going to be good for his entire nation or the offspring. He was just simply trusting God. He was a humble man, most humble on the earth. He didn't freak out and say, well, I got to grab the best land for my nephew. After all, God called me, not him. He said, no, you take what you want. I'll take whatever's left over. And and then you see the result. Lot was more attracted to the things that he saw and what was available. And obviously Sodom was a built-up city and saw that it had a lot to offer. So not only did he keep his flocks there in the valley, but he kept it near Sodom, Gomorrah. And there he, as we always see, he leaned towards Sodom. Sodom got closer and closer and got drawn in to the pagan culture, the Canaanite culture. He was a righteous man, but he got sucked into it and captured by it. He got enslaved by it. You can say it, it overwhelmed him and he became a captive in it physically because of these kings that came and conquered them in the battle. And so Abraham goes and God uses him to rescue Lot. And we have this amazing encounter between Abram and Melchizedek when Lot is now 
rescued, and he's bringing them back to the king of Sodom. And they all seem to meet up there right outside what is now modern-day Jerusalem. And Melchizedek is a priest, but he also seems to be a king. And we, we only have this account here, but we hear a lot more about Melchizedek in the New Testament. And what's so phenomenal is that he brings out wine and bread. And he offers to Abram. Abram tithes the 10, 10% to him. He always tied to someone greater. Abram realized. And this is the, the only other person we hear about up to this point that is following God. Abraham seems to be drawn out and brought to Yahweh. And then he realizes that this man is a priest of Yahweh. And uh, were there others he encountered along the way? Probably, maybe, but we're not told he did. But here's the first time we see one in Scripture. Abraham is uh, humbled. He won a great victory. And he had rights to all the spoil, but he immediately wants to tithe to this man. What was the king of Sodom offering? Hey, take whatever you want. All the riches of the world. You can take what you want. You've blessed us and you need to have material, you know, compensation. What he took was the bread and the wine. He took that which from the Lord. And again, so strong typology here. Melchizedek being a type of Christ coming out. Abram recognizing to some degree tithing to that, looking to that, and says, no, I don't want anything to do with your stuff. King of Sodom, king of the world, of the flesh, and all that stuff. Uh, I don't want any of that. And so then it's after that, we see that God then blesses him with what? Life. The God we serve is the God of life. He says, I'm going to give you a son in your old age. That which is impossible with man is possible with God. And he gives him, of course, the blessing, the promise of the coming of Isaac, which would bring them laughter and joy into their life. Such a beautiful story. So much you can go into with his encounter with, with Melchizedek and then going back and then God lifting, telling him that he's going to have this whole nation coming from his own loin from himself because he was walking by faith. And those that are in the, the kingdom of God are those that are born of the faith of Abraham. It was by faith that Abraham believed God. And so those born of Abraham, Abraham's true children, we find out in the New Testament, are not those born by blood, but those are born by faith. Very interesting how Paul develops that. So you and I are sons of Abraham. Matthew 5, just up to verse 26 now. When Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. Well, I have to mention after what just happened. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, over in Sinai Peninsula, you know, there was this mock demonstration where the uh, number of people went up on Mount Sinai and and had a, a copy, fake copy of the Ten Commandments. Obviously, it means just some mock-up and broke them on top of what they consider to be Mount Sinai and saying to the world on behalf of the Pope, no less, that they were rewriting the Ten Commandments to include carbon, the sin of carbon emissions, <laughs> repenting from our carbon emissions. Um, that would fall under 19 about, <laughs> about not taking away the curse that would come upon you to take away from the, from the law, from what which has been given. I'm like, Lord, Help us, please, when we are holding up our fist at God and saying, we're going to make the, we're going to write, rewrite the law. We don't like what you wrote. We're going to rewrite it and tell you the way to run the universe. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. We need to be like Abram and come before him humbly and be recognizing we are fortunate to have a breath in us and to have one more heartbeat. Because our God is a God of grace and he allows us to live. And we need to recognize that our life is a gift and this world is a gift to us. And we are to have learned how to have a relationship with him. And we're not here because we have some divine right to be here. 
We're here by his own design for us to learn how to live in this world with him and to learn what it is to be a child of God and to walk humbly with our God. That's what he's shown us, right? What we're supposed to do. So anyway, the rest of these things, um, Jesus is starting to show them that the law is established for the benefit of man, but the law, the foundation of the law, and the justice of the law is that which is in the heart. God is the one who who directs our steps through our heart, not just our outer actions. And therefore, there needs to be an understanding that we are following after God, first and foremost, in the inner man, and uh, asking him to help us with following him, not becoming angry and not sinning, not becoming lustful, not becoming prideful, and asking him to help us in these areas, and repenting when we do. So then the outer life will follow after the inner heart, and we will live a blessed life. Charles Spurgeon now, a wonderful guarantee. I will strengthen thee, Isaiah 41.10. When called to serve or to suffer, we take stock of our strength, and we find it to be less than we thought and less than we need. But let not our hearts sink within us while we have such a word as this to fall back upon. For it guarantees us all that we can possibly need. God has strength omnipotent. That strength he can communicate to us. And his promise is that he will do so. He will be the food of our souls and the health of our hearts. And thus he will give us strength. There is no telling how much power God can put into a man when divine strength comes. Human weakness is no more a hindrance. Do we not remember seasons of labor and trial in which we receive such special strength that we wondered at ourselves? In the midst of danger, we were calm under bereavement. We were resigned in slander. We were self-contained and in sickness, we were patient. The fact is that God gives unexpected strength when unusual trials come upon us. We rise out of feeble selves. Cowards play the man. Foolish ones have wisdom given them and the silent receive in the same hour what they shall speak. My own weakness makes me shrink, but God's promise makes me brave. Lord, strengthen me according to thy word. Boy, can I relate to that. I don't know about you, but I think about the saints of old, and I think about the brave, the people that would stand up, you know, <laughs> to Caesar or to the Roman soldier in the midst of proclaiming Christ, knowing they're going to be taken to the Colosseum and thrown to the lions and stuff, and you go, and these are women, sometimes small children, I would think, young people. How? How did they find that kind of strength? And, of course, it's a divinely given strength, and we thank God for it. Amazing. It's the only way. You know, it's the only way I could think that I could do that. Divine strength given to us. That is nothing of myself and everything of Christ. Um, and we pray that God would do that. Even now, amongst those that would just come and see you in Walmart wearing a Christian t-shirt and come and say, what are you doing? Are you a Christian? You know, just, and just calmly look at them and say, yeah, God changed my life. Just in the small things, we need the boldness, right? 
even me, I, like in small things. Don't want to call it a scene in public, you know. And so anyway, God is good. And that's our prayer. That's my prayer. God, strengthen me in those times. Give me your words. Be, be the strength of my life. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you make us strong in your power. We do ask, God, that you would go before us. Give us the boldness we need in the, in the world around us today, but let it be a loving boldness as we see how Jesus was so loving and kind. So many people want to argue and yell and scream and get mad and easy for me to get mad back at them. So easy. So, Father, our prayer is that you would just give us that strong, gentle spirit that we become meek like you were, that we have an understanding of the powerful God we serve. We know we stand as soldiers. We know that you're coming back and the world is going to fall under, God, your power and authority that the enemy is going to be defeated. So in that knowledge, God, we simply look at those people and we feel sorry for them, actually. We pray for them, not against them. So help us to do that today, um, to be thinking about people, thinking about their eternity, and um, where possible, God, help us pray for them and help us share with them. And we do, God asks that we even one to another, we, we are iron upon iron, sharpening one another, encouraging one another in all that we are doing uh, in the kingdom and on a daily basis. Thank you for our families that are that have been around us to, for visits that we have contact with. For our unsaved kids, God, we pray for them. Anyone that has kids that aren't saved. I know the, the pain at, at Christmas time, the time when you want to be celebrating Christ together, the difficulties and how painful it is. But God, we pray for those that are lost. We pray that you would reach them and that you would bring Christians upon their into their path. Christians they can identify with of their same age group or their same interests that they would come across them, use them, God, in a mighty way. And for those of us who have parents and are saved, same deal as before the, our parents. If they're still alive, go home to be with the Lord, that you might open that one window, Father, for us or someone else to reach into their lives and just share the gospel one more time, right when they need to hear it, right in the most needful time in their life. Just open up opportunities for that. So, God, continue to work in our own families. Continue to heal. Heal hearts, God. Heal people that are hurting. In China, God, the millions of people that are suffering right now, we want to remember them, not any fault of their own, and enslaved by their own government. Can't imagine what it would be like. I want to pray for the freedom for the people, but also freedom from this disease, that it be turned around and that the natural immunity of man would just, just triple overnight, that we'd be able to withstand this virus, that our own natural immunity would just kick in, God, and, and uh, overwhelm it, so uh, that it would die off quickly. So we pray against the, this new strain, whatever it is, and you not allow the governments of the world to manipulate it, to use it for their own selfish ends. So bring it to an end, God, quickly, and let us, God, continue to meet together as churches, continue, God, our lives at normal, that these governments would not in, at, at all try and do anything to shut down the economy or to shut down churches. So we look to you for your strength and for these um, whatever comes these future days. 
and also for the continued healing of our brothers and sisters that are dealing with so much sickness. Thinking of Kevin, dealing a lot now with his lungs, and uh, Dean and Kim and their kids needing a lot of a lot of intervention, God, to get the viruses under control. And Tony and Bernice, all that they're going through as well. And, of course, all those undergoing treatments for their cancer and, and surgeries for so shoulders and different things like that. We def pray, God, you get them healed up quick. And Mary as well, that she just has full healing and recovery as they get ready to come back. So thank you, God, for this morning. We bless you, and we thank you for a special prayer for Friday as we do this outreach as well, God, that you would make it as something just wonderful and blessing and bring new people into the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. That will do it for us today. Thank you, guys. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you all tomorrow, same time. God bless you all very much. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.